Hello folks, this is J.B. Hickson with Not By Works Ministries. The podcast you're about to hear is a replay of a two-part message I gave at a conference in Illinois six years ago. This is part two. Part one is also available. In these messages, I address the tendency on the part of some end times Bible teachers to sensationalize and set dates for the return of the Lord. Specifically, in part one, I talk about the blood moons and Shemitah hysteria, as I like to call it. And in part two, I address the proper way to interpret current events in light of Scripture and point out several developments that could be setting the stage for the future fulfillment of prophecy. This two-part message came to my mind this morning during an interview I did on the Christian Underground News Network. That podcast is also available entitled, Can We Set a Date for the Rapture? During that interview, I referenced these past messages on the blood moons and Shemitah. So I decided to dig into our archives, pull them out, and repost them to our podcast channel. I hope you'll take the time to listen to all three podcasts, the new interview from earlier today on Can We Set a Date for the Rapture, and the reposted two-part message from six years ago about the blood moons and Shemitah. All three are available on the Not By Works podcast channel, wherever podcasts are found, as well as on the new Not By Works mobile app. And speaking of that, please don't forget to download the all-new Not By Works mobile app for your phone or mobile device. The Not By Works app is your one-stop location for all the resources available from Not By Works Ministries, including our podcasts, videos, devotionals, and much more. It's your one-stop location to stay current with everything Not By Works produces on a day-by-day basis. And you can also message us directly from the app. Check out the announcement banner on our website at notbyworks.org for more information on how to download the Not By Works app to your phone or mobile device. Or click the link in the show notes below. Now, enjoy part two of this message from back in 2015. This is sort of a compilation of some of that uh, in, in the context of setting the stage. Remember, the question on the table is, is the stage being set? Uh, I don't think we can answer the question, is prophecy being fulfilled? Because the rapture hasn't happened. So since we're all still here, the answer to that first question is no, prophecy hasn't been fulfilled tonight because we're still here, unless we were all wrong. So, uh, But I'm pretty sure I'm going to be... The first one to go when it happens, because I believe Jesus said, I give you eternal life and you shall never perish, so I don't have any doubts. Um, But so while we can't point to certain geopolitical events and economic events and world events and say this is the fulfillment of prophecy, we can ask the legitimate question, is the stage being set? Uh, My mentor, Walver, used to say that as you look at the world events around us, it's like looking at a stage. If the world is a stage, uh, right now the curtain is down and you can hear some shuffling around going behind there. You're sitting in the theater waiting for the current to rise. Curtain to rise. You might see some lights and shadows and hear footsteps, people walking about, the stage hands moving this and moving that. You know, all kinds of things happening, but you don't really know when that curtain's going to rise. But at some point, the curtain's going to rise, and that's the rapture. And then, I think, in retrospect, we'll be able to look back and we'll be able to say, oh, I understand. Now, I see why, you know, May 15th, 19th, and I see why this European Union, and I see why this global, you know, currency, and I see why this crash of the stock market, and I see why this, you know, election this, and that, and we'll be able to put the pieces together. Now we won't really care at that point because we're going to be enjoying the marriage of the Lamb and uh, and seeing our Savior face to face. But uh, we will be able to sort of connect some of the dots that are hard to do now.
So, uh, let's just take a few of these. I had a hard time narrowing it down, and even as late as two hours before tonight, I was thinking I needed to add a bunch of more, but it'll get us through the rest of our time. And then we'll take some questions. Uh, obviously, we have to start with the stock market crash. Could that be a setting of the stage? Uh, I was kind of tracking this. This is the Fox News. I'm using Fox News because most people think that's a legitimate source, and so um, I, you know, I, I, rather than try to explain to you why or why they are all part of the same bought and paid for state run media. I'll just go with sort of the accepted news source that everybody's okay with. Uh, so uh, Fox News usually doesn't uh, uh, offend anybody. Um, but this was Friday uh, in the evening. You know, trading meltdown, Dow drops 530 points, biggest loss since 2011. Uh, this was uh, this morning. I woke up eager to see what would happen, and as we feared, it was not good in the morning. Coincidentally, in, in, you know, I've got a little bit of a mystic in me too, and when I actually logged on and, and screen captured this, I looked at the time because I wanted to be able to tell you when I got it. It was 9-11 this morning, so whatever that means. Um, it really was. Um, but anyway, that was this morning at 9-11, and then um, at 11-24, it was starting to recover, uh, but still down 300 and some odd points. And then, of course, it closed 588 points down. And uh, so I think in terms of a setting of the stage, the U.S. economy really is just about gone. It's a, it's a code blue, you know. <laughs> Code blue. We're trying to. We're living on borrowed time. We're trying to revive it. Uh, but anybody that knows anything about fiat currency and about derivatives and about the debt and uh, and all of that knows that it's a house of cards. We don't know when it's going to come crumbling down. But um, if you are invested in something that you can't touch, you don't own it. That, that's my philosophy. If you don't touch it, you can't. You don't own it. You know. Um, what about Jade Helm? Anybody heard of Jade Helm? Could this be a setting of the stage? Boy, it sure seems like it to me. Um, this is, began on July 15th, some 1,200 troops that we know about from some of the leaked documents, and, and presumably the scope of it is actually much bigger than, uh, than that, um, but uh, are participating in a, in a, in a two-month-long uh, military training exercise across all kinds of states in the southwest there and uh, the purpose is to prepare US military troops to handle domestic uh, martial law type situations um, lots of uh, scuttlebutt out there among uh, people that are you know either hearing information witnessing information leaking information whistleblowers that type of stuff um, it is interesting that there have been a lot of uh, an increase in sightings of uh, military vehicles convoys we travel extensively and uh, we seem to be noticing them more now are we just noticing them more or are there more of them I don't know um, uh, some of them some of the pictures I've seen of you know acres full of of military vehicles parked in some farmers field in Podunkville East Texas you know it does beg the question what are they doing there? You know, uh, did we run out of military bases? Do we need to build some more parking spaces at you know Fort Dix? Or I mean, what do we need to do? Um, but it certainly is a possibility that it's the setting of the stage. Military drills. There are tons of those happening. Um, you know, the whole black helicopters things. What about the WalMarts that closed? You know, 
That was kind of interesting. Five super Walmarts closing across four states, all because of plumbing issues. Shut down. Just shut down. Um, so, Jade Helm. Okay, what about CERN? We mentioned that earlier. Uh, you know, CERN is the European Organization for Nuclear Research. Physicists and engineers are probing the fundamental structure of the universe. Uh, they use the world's largest, most complex scientific instruments to study the basic constituents of matter, the fundamental particles. And these particles are made to collide together at close to the speed of light. And uh, as we said, coming up, they're planning an experiment to try to replicate the Big Bang. And it'll be the fastest they've ever collided. That's in September. Um, you know, we see some fundamental attacks on foundational truths of, of life. If you go back to Genesis, you know, the sanctity of life, the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of language. Um, and you see things uh, like uh, what happened at Babel. Uh, which would later become Babylon, uh, and this idea of of man becoming like God and and uh, trying to reach God and become God and overpower God and overtake God, and so uh, with uh, genetic uh, engineering, with genetic modifications, with uh, you know the first baby being born with three DNAs, three human DNAs, because uh, of splicing things like that. We're talking about playing God. It's really really eerie. Uh, to me, there's no question that's a setting of the stage. Um, you know, what's so fascinating about prophecy is we can know what's going to happen. We don't know when, but because we know what's going to happen, we can look at some things that have happened and we can say, wow, that makes perfect sense that if this is going to happen biblically, this is how, right? And, you know, we've seen this a lot, and, and historicists actually are pretty good at this uh, in, the, in the end times realm because, you know, because they keep, you know, you know two-thirds of their time watching newspapers and, and current events and one-third of the Bible, and we maybe are two-thirds Bible, one-third end times, we miss some of this stuff. But they're always the first ones to say, well, hey, you know, remember back in the 70s, the UPC symbols could certainly be the way that they create and control commerce during the tribulation, or you know, later RFID chips, and you know, and we see some of these things happening that could could be the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. That's what we mean by stage setting. So obviously, this is pretty significant. They're trying to reach the abyss, trying to reach hell, and trying to replicate the creation of life. Wow, that, that's pretty significant. Um, this whole idea of uh, the you know, Agenda 21 or Agenda 2030 and the sustainable development. Um, uh, if, you see, if you see the word sustainable... That should cause a red flag. That is a, an agenda, a UN chartered, uh, UN um, promoted uh, theme and concept that's uh, about giving up our sovereign rights and putting them under the control of a global police policing union or group. In this case, uh, the UN. Uh, NASA spying. I mean, NSA spying, excuse me. Um, anybody who doesn't know by now that Google was created as a front by the NSA, that's public record. You can just Google it and find out. Now, Google's not a private company. It was started by the NSA. And the fact that they're tracking all of this. Here's just some screenshots from that uh, uh, famous uh, server farm in Utah that was uh, built. Um, they call these uh, bit buckets. Everybody has their own bit bucket, and every piece of data related to you goes into a bucket. 
And uh, the more data you have, the bigger your bucket. But uh, they have computers that can harvest and data mine your bit bucket. And that includes uh, everything that is said, everything you screen on the internet, everything you hear. Maybe you've read some of the concerns about Windows 10 and how the microphone is constantly, even if the computer's off, recording everything that is said. Uh, that's why in our computers, you'll, I won't try to turn this around, but you can see we always have our videos, um, uh, cameras covered over because they can be activated remotely. Anything electronic can be activated remotely. And they all have these uh, internal switches that allow them to do that. I mean, this is mainstream news. Uh, Philadelphia ISD uh, was in big trouble with massive lawsuits and problems because the, uh, the laptops that they issued their, their students in the Philadelphia ISD, the principals at the school were uh, sitting at home at night logging in and watching children in their bedrooms by activating their cameras remotely. And it was a huge problem. And uh, so, you know, you need to be aware of the whole concept of data gathering, bit buckets. Uh, you say, well, if I'm not doing anything wrong, I don't, I don't have to worry about it. Well, first of all, yes, you do, because it's a principle of the thing, right? We have an inalienable right, that means God-given, according to our Constitution of privacy. So whether I'm doing anything right or not, or wrong or not, I don't want anybody to violate my privacy. That's a violation of my fundamental God-given right. But secondly, it doesn't matter whether you're doing anything right or wrong. It's all about spin. Not about what it is. It's about what you want is to be. So they can take the, your bit bucket information, manipulate it, mold it, shape it, and if they need to gather everybody together and, get, and cause a reason for you to be uh, collected, they can create one. Here's a shot of that uh, Sandy Utah Fusion Center. Uh, this is uh, uh, an issue of um, Wired magazine called Inside the Matrix that was an exclusive report that they did on um, this uh, fusion center um, in Utah. I don't know if you can read that on the screen there, but it says, Deep in the Utah desert, the National Security Agency is building the country's biggest spy center. It's the final piece of a secret surveillance network that will intercept and store your phone calls, emails, Google searches, and so forth. Uh, by the way, if you're uh, concerned about this, there's, there's really ultimately not a whole lot we can do because we live in a technocracy and everything we do is technologically driven and it's just hard to completely come off the grid. Almost impossible, really. But you can do a few things to kind of slow it down and one of them is stop using Google. I recommend StartPage, startpage.com as the search engine of choice because they do not save and track your searches. They do everything by proxy. So Google can still get to that information, but they have no way to tie it to you. Um, smart meters, I don't know how big of a problem that is around here, but it was a huge problem in Texas where they can tell when you uh, turn on your uh, washing machine and dryer. They can tell when you've walked past your refrigerator, when you've walked past your thermostat, when you've opened your refrigerator door, what you had for supper, uh, those kinds of things. Um, all in the name of sustainability, all in the name of saving Mother Earth and going green. That's never about what it's about. That's a fundamental principle of deception. Uh, we cover this in Great Last Day's Deception, but Satan is the great deceiver, and he, he's masterful at um, 
you know, distraction, at, at creating a, a you know, problem, reaction, solution, the Hegelian dialectic, they call it, where, you know, you create some problem, they get everybody's attention on that, think that's what it's about when it's really another agenda altogether. So it's never about what it's about. Um, are smart meters a problem around here or not? Anybody? Some people have them? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't have... Uh, our house now does not have one. We just moved to Dunlap because uh, I checked. Not that we could have done anything about it after the fact, but um, I know in Texas we fought long and hard. We had a we had a gated acreage, and we had them come out and try to get across our gate. And I had to explain to them that wasn't going to happen. And so then they came back with a manager explaining, you know, he was the good cop. He was like, "No, I understand you have concerns. I have those concerns too. What are they?" And you know, and I just basically had to say, "No, no, 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 no." And um, but uh, anyway, that's an issue. What about this one? Global elite stockpiling and heading to bunkers. Again, you can find this mainstream news if you. You know, the great thing about the internet, while it's still open anyway, is that you can get information. Now you can get a lot of lies too. The information is just a conduit, just like communication, libraries, anything else, books. <clears throat> you have to discern whether it's accurate or not. But when you're dealing with declassified government documents, when you're dealing with white papers, when you're dealing with you know, obvious, you, know, you can usually tell whether this is some made-up hoax or whether it's a, a legitimate deal. And there's uh, all kinds of uh, contractors and people that have come out talking about you know, major global elite figures that are buying you know, acreage by the tens of thousands in places like Brazil and building underground nuclear-hardened bunkers with you know, all kinds of non-hybrid seeds and um, you know, um, long-term storable food to last for decades and things like that. Uh, this is a picture of uh, the Pensmore Mansion. Uh, we've been there. We've been to all these places, um, and uh, I have pictures, but I couldn't find mine because um, I couldn't have the time to go back and look through the dated folders. But uh, anybody familiar with the Pensmore Mansion? couple of you, one person. It's on Route 65. I'm glad you are, Landry, since you were there when we went to it. Um, you can see it when you drive down the Highway 65 from Springfield to Branson in Missouri. You can see it up in the hills. Uh, you can't get to it. You can drive by it. We drove by the one of the gated entries and took pictures of the signs that basically said, if you go any further, we'll shoot you. Um, so we didn't go any further. Um, but it's all connected to underground tunnels and bunkers within the Ozark Mountains, and it's fully off off the grid, fully, uh, fully uh, solar operated. Uh, it's the largest allegedly privately owned fully solar uh, residence in, in the world. Uh, I'm not convinced it is. These are some of the entrances. Um, they're usually hidden in plain sight, you know. You, uh, you drive along and you see a like a farm 12-foot gate and it'll have a chain around it and with a no trespassing sign and if you were to venture past it, you'd go around a couple of curves and all of a sudden you'd be at the face of a big mountain and you'd see something that looks like that. And uh, now you better believe they've got surveillance and you know snipers and other people that if anybody ever did decide to go and try to get in, you'd, you'd have a conversation at the least. But most of the time, it's just, it's just right there, right there for you. Um, these are some shots from uh, the Denver airport. Uh, I spent a lot of time at the Denver airport. Um, these are some pretty scary pictures. They're all right there. You don't have to go through security. They're right there in the terminal. Uh, all 
depicting different uh, elements of the New World Order. And, uh, you know, children dying, heads being cut off. And, of course, you know, people walk by these big art displays right there on the wall with their Starbucks. Oh, isn't that interesting? They have no idea what it's really all about. And under the Denver airport, there's unbelievable... uh, uh, bunkers and tunnels. They built the Denver airport way out in the middle of nowhere. If you've been there, you know this. There's huge fields, acres after acres of solar panels. You never see that at any other airport. Uh, what is it running? What is it there for? Um, you, uh, you know, there have been uh, you know declassified documents that have come out about the continuity of government. If you've ever heard that phrase, uh, COG, uh, came up first to the public arena in the uh, Iran Contra uh, hearings when Ali North was asked about it because he's the one that was tasked with first creating the continuity of government documents. But basically, it's a secret shadow government that says if something cataclysmic happened and our country was cut off at the neck or whatever. Uh, these are the people that would be in charge. And it's, uh, it's not, you know, we're not talking about like if the president was assassinated, well, then there's already a line of secession. But, um, you know, this is, this is a wholly separate deal that in an event of a major cataclysmic deal, there, these are things that not even congressmen and senators know about. It's a secret, separate shadow government. And in some of the declassified documents, Denver was set to be the next capital city of America. That's where we'll, we'll move to. It'll be the center of power, the, the HQ, if you will. Uh, the rise of religious pluralism. Um, obviously, this has to happen for the Antichrist to usher in a one world religion. Um, I've said before, I think we can clearly tell from Scripture that it's not going to be Islam. Um, Islam is a formidable threat and problem. It's a setting of the stage. It's a, it's an, a means to an end, but it's not the ultimate enemy. Uh, the, the end times religion that the Antichrist is going to put in place is not going to be Islam. It's going to be pluralism. Because it has to be something that gets the whole world to worship it. So we're heading towards this, uh, you know, uh, there's um, Obama, by the way, with Rick Warren. Um, but it has to be something that can cast a broad net and get everybody uh, into it. So you've heard of Chrislam, right? That's not a conspiracy theory. Well, it is a conspiracy theory. It just happens to be a true one. Um, uh, Christianity Today, which is long ago sold out to the elite. Um, my recommendation is stop getting that magazine unless you want to continue to support that. Um, but, uh, you know, talking about promoting worshiping Jesus in the mosques. Here's a church um, in uh, Tennessee, First Chrislamic Congregation. Um, there's Rick Warren, who's certainly a you know a, a big part of all that. He's by the way one of only two evangelicals that are members of the CFR. Now, who knows what the CFR is? Council on Foreign Relations, and that is one of the big think tanks for uh, for the elite. Uh, any, what's that? Richard Land. And I actually asked him about it one time. Uh, I was at a conference, an apologetics conference. He was not speaking, but he came. Um, he was in town because he was going to be installed as the president of a seminary. And, uh, and so uh, when I saw him, I first just you know, shook hands and then w- went out. We were headed to the next event somewhere. I think it was I was finishing out, or maybe it was just we were done for the evening and headed back to the hotel. But anyway, I got to the car and I thought, you know, I may never get another chance to see Richard Land. I'm going to go back in, and if I can, if I can find him away from people, or I can 
can have a conversation that's private and that would not be awkward or make him feel awkward. I'm just you know follow the Lord and see if it do. So I walked back in and sure enough he was over at a table. Um, that was actually another colleague of mine's table and then the guy wasn't there so Richard was just kind of thumbing through some materials and so no one was really around they were in a either already gone I don't remember the circumstance but either the people were in the main auditorium or something and I walked over and I said hello my name is so and so and you know uh, small talk for a second I said you might have asked you a question I said I've heard you were a member of the Council on Foreign Relations and I'm just curious how you Justify that, or how, I don't remember my exact phrase. I'll try to ask it as non-offensively as I could. And he goes, he could tell he kind of was a little bit taken back by the question, but he's a great, you know, seasoned veteran speaker and in with the tight with the elites. And so he just he quickly says, "Oh yeah, you know, you know, I, I figured, uh, you know, they need a perspective of an evangelical Christian." And so I was honored when they asked. And a lot of my friends said I shouldn't do it, but I just thought, well, I'll, you know. And basically, his approach was, you know, he's not part of the deal he's just a kind of can't beat him join him type deal or whatever um, I'm not sure I believe that but because I've heard I've read some other stuff by some people that know him personally um, if you've ever read the book we won't be fooled again I highly recommend that um, Steve Dace and I forget the other guy's name but it's an expose I mean with leaked emails and all kinds of stuff on the who's who of so-called evangelical right-wing leaders, household names of people that are really not all that you think they are when you really see what their real agenda is. And so I kind of have my doubts, but uh, the Council on Foreign Relations is a pivotal piece of the puzzle when it comes to the New World Order. Uh, Trilateral Commission as well. Um, but you know the whole World Council of Churches concept of ushering in this pluralistic religion the whole why can't we all just get along concept isn't that cartoon funny I I just thought I'd throw that in there rock paper scissors um so, rise of religious pluralism, gender neutrality. I don't think you can understate the significance of this in uh, God's plan. If you if you destroy gender neutrality, here's some signs. I, by the way, I saw when we were in Chicago recently, uh, coming back from Albuquerque, my first, uh, and I'm sure there will be many more to come, woman in the men's room at the airport, and it was not an accident. She was not startled. She, she walked right in, went to the stall, came out, went to the sink, and looked at the guy next to her like, so what? You know, <laughs> Haven't you ever seen a woman before? And washed her hands and walked out. You know, And I'm sure there are people like that that have been planted to try to create issues, cause lawsuits, and begin to make this a widespread norm. In some places it already is the norm. In a lot of public schools in the Northeast, they have male, female, and transgendered restrooms. You get to pick. And as young as fifth grade, uh, if you go to your counselor and say, you know, I know I have the parts of a male, but I really feel like I'm female. Um, can I start using the female restroom? They have to let you, and the school can be sued if they tell the parents. Because as the media has repeatedly said, the parents don't own the children. The schools own the children. The media owns the children. You've probably seen that famous clip. It's in the Common Core DVD, a clip of a big major NBC, I think it was, news story about how, you know, children, we need to get away from the old archaic idea that families and parents own the children. The children are owned by the state, you know. So don't you dare tell your mom that, you know, that tell the mom that her daughter or her son is whatever. Um, and then you've got uh, the whole growing police state, um, NDAA, um, 
which really reached new levels of of application, if we want to put it that way, under the Bush administration. Everybody blames Obama, but it, Obama just re-upped it. <laughs> it was Bush that really pushed it. Um, all he did was extend it. Uh, you got the whole Homeland Security, TSA. Uh, the, the scanner there on the right, they finally admitted, um, was causing cancer at ten times the normal rate and after denying it for years they finally took them all out of the airport so you won't see those anymore uh, now they're all using the millimeter waves which is the one on the left there which um, uh, it doesn't uh, give you cancer quite as bad but it does unzip your DNA and will kill you so you know remember that the next time you go to the airport um, so you do what I've done since 9-11 I've never once been through one of the scanners I've opted out every time and of course if you opt out then you have to endure this the TSA with their friendly uh, what they call full body pat down which is very very uh, intrusive uh, and I mean very intrusive but I'd rather it's, I have to travel to make a living so I don't really have a choice so you just you endure it I'd rather do that than die so I do that Drones, surveillance drones, you've heard all about that. I can remember several years ago when we first started researching this in 2007, you know, people would look at you like you're nuts if you talked about, you know, thousands of drones in the air. Now it's just commonplace. I mean, drones the size of mosquitoes, you know, flying in and landing on your you know counter and you know every every county state local agency has drones that they use for all kinds of uh, of things um, uh, obviously enhanced interrogation techniques uh, that's pretty enhanced you know for sure um, you know it's amazing what you can get people to say when you torture them you know um, I mean they had uh, they've got all kinds of examples of, of that um, and there was a guy I just read about recently that was tortured and admitted to killing Kennedy, you know. And of course, he wasn't even born until 20 years after Kennedy died. But, you know, stop torturing me. I did it. Uh, more and more you see, you know, SWAT teams and police. And I, I'm not, I mean, we may have some police officers in here, and we want you to know totally respect you know, law-abiding, God-fearing, patriotic police who are there to protect and serve. Unfortunately, anymore, many aren't. That's just a fact. Uh, many are, but many aren't. And uh, that's the ones we have to watch out for. The whole one-world government, again, we talked about the uh, Council on Foreign Relations, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Um, the Foreign Affairs, by the way, is the official uh, magazine of uh, the CFR. Uh, and you can always learn a lot. One of the Luciferian elite's codes of ethics, if they can call it that, is they always have to tell you what they're going to do before they do it. And they'll do that in secret ways and then sit back and laugh about it, you know, um, as they... As they you know, do it. And so that's just a good way to sort of look and, and kind of get inside their mind and see what they might be uh, doing. The, uh, you know, the North American Union, uh, you see that uh, flag represented there. Uh, the whole one world government, uh, we could talk about that forever. Georgia Guidestones, we've been there taking some pictures. Um, how many of you are familiar with the Georgia Guidestones? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's in it's in a little area outside of Atlanta. Um, you can see the specs here erected in 1980. Twelve different languages. Hole in the center that always leaves North Star visible, and a precise horizontal slot indicating the sun cycles. It's it's essentially it's a big mystery. We don't know who financed it. Um, there's been speculation, you know, Ted Turner and other elites, but you don't really know. But it just was put up, and uh, but the, the more troubling thing is what it says. It's got the Ten Commandments of the elite. The very first one is to maintain humanity under 500 million people in perpetual balance with nature. So absolutely they want to get the population of the world down from 7.5 billion to 500 billion. So do the math. How are you going to do that? Through the eugenics program that Satan has been doing since the Garden of Eden. Death. Murder. He's a murderer from the beginning. He wants to kill. And uh, so they have soft kill and hard kill techniques, and they're working hard to, uh, to do that. Uh, several other things uh, here. Unite humanity with a living new language. You know, does that sound familiar? Um, let's see. Uh, balance personal rights with social duties. Hmm. Social duties. Um, Be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. They repeat that twice. Um, but you know this one world government concept is nothing new. I mean, you can go back decades. Here's a 1988 cover of the Economist magazine talking about the one world currency. So this is nothing new. Uh, we know biblically that the world is heading towards a one-world government, right? That's un- unmistakable. It will be ruled by the Antichrist for seven years and will ultimately be ruled by the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he takes the throne. But either way, we're headed towards the one-world government. The question that remains is, will that one-world government be in place before the rapture? And it very well could be. There's nothing biblically. Again, we want to be biblicists through and through. What does the Bible say? We cannot preclude biblically the notion that we could already be an official one-world government. A lot of people think we're de facto in a one-world government now, and I, I would tend to agree with that. But I'm thinking, I mean, officially, um, uh, before the rapture, it could very easily happen. You know, and the more we, the more the Lord tarries is coming, the more I think that's a reality. So the question then is: Is the stage being set? That's, I think, the, the right way to handle um, the whole notion of balancing current events with biblical truth. Um, and uh, so uh, those are just some food for thought. So the world as we know it may very well end in September. Might end tonight. Might end for not for 100 years. Um, the convergence of many geopolitical, economic, religious, and natural occurrences rightly demands our attention. Um, the stage is being set for the rapture. And all that follows it in God's end times plan. But the commencement of the end times phase of God's plan is not based upon some special revelation made to a modern day Jewish rabbi or a naturally recurring solar lunar cycle or an agrarian principle implemented by Yahweh for his chosen nation Israel during the Mosaic law period. Uh, What are some applications? Let me give you three. Look up, be watchful. The blessed hope is coming. Be discerning. Um, you know, you may not agree with me. You may have done more study on this than I have, and you may you may think there's merit in some of these guys' arguments. But either way, look to the Word of God. You know, I can remember back when Rick Warren's book um, "Purpose Driven Life" came out. I, I used to make the statement in class. You know, if people would read the Bible the way they were reading that book, revival would break out. You know, 
I mean, every plane, I, I used to think for a while there when I was traveling um, that you know it was a requirement to get on the plane. You had to have a copy of The Purpose Driven Life because like, it seemed like every other person was reading that book. And I just thought if everybody would read that the way they're reading the Bible, man. Um, be ready. Be ready more than anything else. Trust Christ for salvation today. Uh, we can know for certain right now, today, whether we will spend eternity in heaven. We don't have to wait. It's not open for question. It's not something we have to wonder about. We don't have to wait till we die to find out, did I get in or not? Jesus said, I give you eternal life and you shall never perish. And it's a simple matter of recognizing you're a sinner. Every one of us is a sinner. And the penalty for that sin is eternal separation from a holy God for all of eternity in a literal place of torment called hell. But God loved the world so much that He sent someone to pay that debt on our behalf. And that was Jesus Christ, His eternal Son. And He took my place and your place on the cross. He died for our sins, paying that penalty, satisfying the wrath of God against sin, and, uh, and offering freely to all the gift of forgiveness, His righteousness on our behalf if we'll simply receive it by faith. So salvation isn't about what you do or promise to do or stop doing or promise to stop doing. Salvation is about faith. It's about who are you trusting? Are you trusting in your own merit, your own good works? Are you trusting in your deeds? You're trusting in the fact that you think you're really not all that bad or you're better than most? None of that will matter. The only object of faith that will save is trusting in Jesus Christ who died and rose again for your sins. So let's open it up for questions uh, or comments or thoughts or, you know, we've got a few minutes left here and then we will pray and finish up. Any, any questions? Do you still have the mic? Oh, is it that one back there? He's got it, sorry. Someone have a question? Maybe I started off with that. Oh, good, okay. One of the first questions. And going back to Ashina, um, and of course the Jewish people, uh, their judge, part of their judgment uh, was based on the fact that they did not keep the year jubilee uh, and, and uh, seven years, you know, that whole timetable um, during that time. Part yes. of the schedule was based on that. How, and yet you had indicated that. Yeah, so let me, I think I know where you're going. Yeah, there's no question in the text. We read it, and I encourage you to go home and read it for yourself, Deuteronomy 15. Nothing in the, in the context of the Shemitah has anything to do with judgment. Now, there are plenty of other passages that do talk about blessing and cursing. If you follow my way, you'll get this blessing. If you don't, you'll get this cursing, right? And Israel certainly endured, you know, the exiles, the you know, bondage to Assyria, Babylon, Rome, all of that, because of repeatedly disobeying God's laws as a whole. But I think to zero in and claim that it was this one particular obscure law. <laughs> And elevating that to preeminence over all the other Mosaic law as the reason for cursing is reading a whole lot into the text. You could pick out a lot of other uh, Jewish laws and, and do the same thing with them. Or we can let the text speak for itself and just say they, they violated the Sabbath and, and these things. Not, not the Shemitah, not the release, not the, you know, the death. There was no such thing as a Shemitah judgment according to the text. So I think that's where we've overstepped our bounds by assigning meaning to it that the text doesn't spell out. That's all. So, yeah. Uh, I'd like to ask a question about last week's presentation, if I may. Oh, you sure can. Uh, last week we talked about 
I assume you mean mine. But yes. Okay. Uh, we talked about the land of, for Israel. Yeah. And I wanted to know if Joshua 21 oh, yeah. 3 uh, fulfills that prophecy and, and means that. Yeah, I was going to bring that up last time. We, we did a two-part series in Groveland, for those of you who weren't there, on why is Israel called the Holy Land. We did it two different weeks in a row. And we showed a diagram of the dimensions of the Holy Land, according to most scholars. There's some ambiguity because it talks about the Great River and River Euphrates and this and that. But, you know, even on the best of cases... Um, Israel has never occupied the land. And a lot of people, particularly on uh, the replacement theology side of the aisle, will point to Joshua 21.43 as the so-called fulfillment of the land promised to Israel, where it says, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. Well, you know, at first pass, that sure sounds like it. But you have to understand the context. If you know, first of all, we know historically that they never went to all uttermost parts of, of, of the land. So at least not according to the biblical record or historical record. So it's sort of sometimes Bible interpretation comes down to what can't it mean, right? And so you start with that. But let's just take it at face value in the English translation. Took possession of it and dwelt in it. Well, we might say the same thing, you know. If I bought if I bought uh, ten thousand acres uh, and um, and went to closing, signed the note or paid cash or whatever I did and took possession of it. I might say, I took possession of the 10,000 acres. And then uh, I move in, build a house on the front 40. <laughs> uh, people might say, and dwelt in it. But I may never have even ventured out into the back 10,000 acres or gotten my four-wheeler and forged a new path into the uttermost parts of it. But I've, I've taken possession of it and I've dwelt in it. And that's the implication of the passage. Basically, they had the right to it. They were given it at that time in history. They didn't actually expand and grow the population to where they subdued all parts of it and had outposts there. But they did take possession of it and dwell in it. And they didn't right, which is which is right. They did not drive out all the inhabitants of it. So to this day, they never have occupied all of it. Yes, uh, I've been a believer for a while with the prophecy. It's rather new for me. Uh, my question is, uh, and there's been like the end of the world has been predicted by generally single, like one guy or, or something. This hysteria about September. I'm wondering, you know, it, it, can you look back and say, has there really been, have we seen anything like this? Because there's just so many different things going on. There have been. There have been. It's, it's, it's pretty, uh, you know, big for sure. I mean, there's a lot in September, but it's not unprecedented. I can remember back in 1988 with Edgar Wisenot traveling around and they were pulling in all kinds of similar types of things that were happening, you know, at that time. So again, you know, it's hard to understand history when you're living in it, you know, and so it, it does tend to, we do tend to get consumed with the now, um, but, but I think you're right, I think this is definitely in the upper sphere of the amount of types of things, um, but it would not be the case, in my opinion, that it's unprecedented. I think uh, there, there have been other people that have gotten some traction 
through the years and uh, what's different now and in the last say 20 years with the internet is that the proliferation of information is a lot easier so you can gain adherence and you can get information out um, but yeah I, I mean uh, where I would agree with you know some of my colleagues like you know the Jonathan Collins and the Blitzes and the Bill Salases and the John Hagees and, and, and all those is that you know I think if you look at it as a setting of the stage, yeah, there's a lot of coincidental, interesting things that we just talked about that are coming together. Um, does that mean something's going to happen in September? I, I can't say that for sure. Number two, if it does happen, is that the end times? Remember my chart with we're living in the present age, the end time starts with the rapture. I'm more concerned with what might happen in, in the preparatory phase for my family, for my kids, for my well-being, for our health, for food, water, those kinds of things. Not because I'm afraid of the day of the Lord. Let's go back to where we started with Second Thess 2. Uh, you know, we need to not worry about the end times catching us off guard. Uh, we need to just look at the setting of the stage and say, well, boy, if this train's coming down the track at 100 miles an hour, I might want to step off. So, again, I, I'm in principle and in general, I, I appreciate the whole um, you know, obsession with all that's going on, but just from a little bit of a different angle. So, I, I, you know, that's kind of my thought on it. If the one world government and the one world economy so the question is if the one world government and one world economy were to, to be ushered in prior to the rapture what would our participation I assume you mean like obligation or Chip. Yeah. That's a great question, and you know, I know we've talked about this before. I mean, so much of the what ifs really, you know, it's hard to know where to stop with them because there's so many eventualities that could take place. So what he's talking about is suppose, you know, we have a one world dictator who comes in and says, you know, you you've got to have a chip. You're pretty much getting there now, you know. Go go try to buy a car and walk in there with, you know, $20,000 cash. See how long it takes for the FBI to show up at that dealership and ask you a few questions, you know. Um, so we're pretty much there now. But, yeah, I think, you know, if, if the government forced citizens to take a chip, would a Christian... Should a Christian do that or not? I mean, I don't know. We, I did a DVD back there on uh, Christians and civil disobedience, addressing a lot of these types of things. What are the biblically regulating principles for when and how we should stand up to the government? Um, in a situation like that, I think it's more of a pragmatic issue. You know, if they're putting a gun to my head or my children's head and said, take this chip, I, I might take it to get out of the immediate danger and then begin formulating a plan to flee and head for the hills and I'll rip it out myself later or something like that. But I don't think you can draw a universal principle that says in all cases, in every situation, I mean, a lot of public schools now require children to wear uniforms with chips in them so they can tell where you are every second of every day. Uh, so I think... It's just very complex. I think that's where we got to get in the Word, seek the Lord, and pray through the decisions that we make. 
Yes. Pastor Hickson, thank you very much for all you do for us. Hey, you bet. To bring this all together for us. I don't know if anybody listens to Jan Markell on uh, Family Life. Jan Markell says everything is falling apart because it's falling into place. That's a good way to put it. Falling apart, falling into place. Yeah. And I was talking, she was on um, the greatest thing that came on the radio Sunday. I get serious radio, Jan Markell from uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota. And she said that had a news uh, man on there with, uh, uh, he's a Christian, he's got his own, I can't think of the name of the news outlet. But he said, in this time, the news is happening so fast that we can't keep up to it. He said, it's, it's going faster and faster. And the information is spinning out so fast. We can't keep track of it so much. Dude, I'll tell everybody to do one thing. Turn your TV off for one week. The news, don't watch the news for one week. Just read your Bible and pray and go back to the news and it will shock you. Yeah, it's that's great advice. Uh, keep in mind that you know anything on TV is propaganda. It's driven. That's why when I saw at the, you know this evening before I came up here, I checked the Fox News website and they had moved on back to Clinton again. All this stuff about Hillary, I knew then. Well, this isn't going to be the day that it's a total utter collapse because they they are conditioning us. They're preparing us. So yeah, you don't believe anything you know you, you see there. If you do watch the news, uh, do it with a critical eye to, to kind of discern and see what are they trying to manipulate and what are they trying to get you to think um, that's very good advice well, another thing is what, what's shocking Israel and our president is, is not in line with Israel our president Obama is just shaking things up so much that Israel is scratching their heads saying why are they on our side he's going with Iran Yeah. and the peace the, our, the United States is the leadership for the whole world. They look to us as the Christian nation, so-called, to be a light in the darkness. And Obama is an abomination to our country. Yeah, I would say, you know, we need to be aware that Obama's just a puppet. He's just a puppet. He's just a pawn in the game. Yeah, but he's not the problem. And I would also remind you, and I would encourage you to go back and download the last two lectures that we did on. There's actually four because each one is part one and part two. Like tonight's will be part one and part two because uh, we stopped for the break. But go back and listen to the last four then from the last two weeks on why is Israel called the Holy Land. And we talk in there about how Israel is there in unbelief now. And so we don't, we don't, we want to be careful about providing unmitigated blind support for pagan Satan worshiping leaders in Israel, which is who they are. Just so you know. And if that'd be like, think about Jezebel and Ahab and other times in Israel's history where they were not in belief and there were some pretty wicked rulers, and that's what we've got today. It won't always be that way. Someday when Christ comes back, he's going to regather the, the, the nation of Israel into the land and usher it in, and they'll be there in belief. They'll cry, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and they'll usher in the Messianic kingdom. And what a glorious day that'll be for the nation of Israel at that time. So our support for Israel today is more geopolitical. They're, they're an ally. They're a free nation, allegedly. And, and so we obviously we support them in that sense. But I don't think that we need to take this 
view, as some right-wing evangelicals do, that you know all these Jewish leaders, you know Ariel Sharon before he died, and Netanyahu, and them are like angelic beings that walk around and can do no harm. You know, the depravity of man is universal, and it it affects you know modern-day unbelieving Jewish leaders as well. So, yeah, you bet. Well, let's pray.